career sucks. Sex just isn't the same. What's my purpose? Where did this fat come from? Divorce is killing me. I'll never be happy. My debt is piling up. Kids are gone. Now what? I'll never find love. Why can't I be like the other guys? Hey guys, gay, straight, and everything in between. It's time to get a grip. Stop whining, make a bold move, and do something amazing with your 40 plus life. Let's get to the show with your Tell It Like It Is host, Rick Clemens, who does his best to never act like a dick, unless you act like one first. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of 40 Plus Real Men Real Talk. I'm Rick Clemens, your host for this show. I'm also a guy that has learned a lot about what it means to live an unapologetic life. As you well know, I've talked about the unapologetic life assessment numerous times on the show. If you want to go check that out, just go to unapologeticlifeassessment.com. Take the assessment, see what you can do to start opening yourself up to going, I am not going to make any more excuses. I'm going to face those fears and I'm going to live life without apologies. And as a divorced guy myself, most of you know that I'm divorced, came out of the closet at age 36 and I've been living my happy, happy gay life ever since, even though there's times it hasn't been happy, happy, joy, joy. But what I find fascinating through this process is most guys really struggle when it comes to the divorce thing. And I mean, not because they don't want it, not because it's like killing them, which there's all that kind of rolls into it. But a lot of times, and this may be surprise, surprise guys to you, most of the time it is the women who instigate the divorces. But what happens when a guy says, I'm done? he really wants to get out of the marriage and whether it's for good things, bad things, infidelity, whatever it may be. And I think this is definitely becoming a generational thought pattern. And I have somebody who's a generation or so behind me who I met at world domination summit. I've been on his podcast and we connected and we kind of have similar values and his name is Stephen Worley. And when we were at world domination summit, no, it's not some kinky BDS and I think it is. Um, it is really an amazing, amazing um, conference where you just connect with people living unconventional lives. And Stephen hit me up and goes, I think I'd like to talk about some stuff on your podcast. And he's going to do both my podcasts. But um, welcome to this one, Stephen. And I know this thing about divorce is interesting and intriguing and tough and everything else. But um, I'm glad you brought this subject up. Because you are living and breathing this pretty much right now, right? I am, and thank you for uh, providing with the opportunity. And, and this is also something I, I'm, I'm a very private person, right? And generally, this is the first. This is the first time I'm ever publicly in this format speaking about my divorce. And I wanted to be part of the process because I there's so much stigma around divorce still, right? Even though, like, we've all heard that stat: half of all marriages end in divorce. But I think there's a lot of stigma around it. And, and one being like, you know, yeah, I, I was the initiator of our divorce. And I think a lot of times people think, or I'm making an assumption here, that the initiator has it easier. It, it doesn't work like that, in my opinion. No. No. I mean, I, I feel like I drew the short straw in getting honest that our marriage was over. Yep. And one of us had to say, uh, so I think some, so I just want to kind of put that one out there if you're kind of on the fence and, and it's, 
And the other thing for me was we, we didn't have infidelity. There wasn't financial shenanigans. There wasn't all the classic things. It's, you go through, the, or at least I went through this process. I'm like, is this a good enough reason to get a divorce? Because I was raised Catholic. I'm no longer practicing. My parents have been married for 46 years. My ex-wife's parents were married for 50. So we came from very specific social cultures and conditioning. Yep. Now you are in it. You do, you go as long as you can until I literally felt like I was losing myself sanity at times um, in a way starting like the very early stages. I could, I could see how people end up dying mm -hmm. and I was not going to let that happen. <laughs> it's a, you know, it, it's like all of a sudden having the tough conversation about getting divorced seems a lot easier than the alternative, Absolutely. ironically. And so I, I think sometimes talking about it and going through it, be, and, and I'm so grateful. I think I was also unique that I had super supportive parents. They were the ones who encouraged me, believe it or not. Um, I had a lot of great friends. And I, I think my, my ex-wife is a smart, awesome woman, but we were not on the same page. We didn't have that alignment. We, we kept trying to get there. <laughs> and after a while, you know, if you're expending the majority of your energy in your marriage, just trying to keep staying on the same page, I don't, I don't think that's very healthy, at least in my opinion. You, you, because then I started asking me, I'm like, is it like this for you? You've been married for 20 years. They're so like, yeah, sure, we have tough times, but generally it feels kind of effortless. We enjoy mm -hmm. these things, and right. I'm like, okay, yeah, I felt like that's what it's supposed to be like. Because you just do a lot of self-doubt talk, you know, and and you feel judged. You do, and and I think the thing that most people do is they become numb to it and they begin to go, okay, well, this is just the way it's supposed to be. And I know for and me, I'm like, I, and I said to myself, I'm like, Oh no, if, if this is what it's supposed to be like, this is awful. Why does anybody get married? Exactly. Exactly. And I, I think what's so interesting. So I know, I know you're in your forties. So you, you're, you're kind of falling in that. Are you Gen X? Where, where do you fall? In I'm Gen sport? X. Yeah. Okay, Proudly Gen X. You know what? We're always forgotten about. So uh, hey, always. That's, yeah. There I am perfectly demonstrating that right now. But um, I find it interesting as I've watched the different generations start to step into this. Cause I'm, I'm right. I'm literally last year, baby boomer, right in that, like that 63 is the year that you're either, you know, you're just there. You, you kind of like catch the tail end of it. But what I've found interesting is I've worked with clients, not just coming out clients, but people who have gone through these decisions like you did, is generationally it starts to change. And I think it's powerful and I think it's also very educational to see people taking relationships and divorce into a whole nother realm. I watch my own kids, my youngest is 20 and my oldest is 24, navigating relationships in a completely different way than I was... <laughs> Here's your blueprint. Here's the stamp. Here's how you do this, you know, mm -hmm. and you and your generation are much more open. And I know I'm generalizing, but I think much more open to, hey, is this working? Because if it's not working for you and it's not working for me, let's, you know, like I, want, I want her to be happy, honestly. You right. Know, and it's that's where you see that. I mean, I think what was also, I guess, a little unconventional is, um, you know, I thought about it for a long time and I, in my social circle, even among my friends, I'm one of the only people that's now gotten a divorce. Like I'm an anomaly in my social circle. And if you, if all my friends had a vote on who's the last person they thought would ever get a divorce, it would be me. Mm -hmm. 
And I think sometimes that carried a little extra weight for people. Of course it does. Be like, oh my God, Stephen Worley got a divorce? What? You know? And and there wasn't all these normal things about why people get divorced. And it's, I don't know, I I think what's also changing if generally we we might be living until we're 100 now. Mm -hmm. And and maybe we are going to have more several long-term relationships and not just the one. And, and sometimes, I mean, I have my oldest high school friend. I've known him for 31 years. I, um, I still know my very good friends with my junior prom date. Like her children are like my niece and nephew. Mm. And so I have long-term relationships um, and I've had short-term relationships. And I think, um, yeah, I think there's just lots of different ways to potentially look at this now. And I, I guess me, my, my low bar filter going forward for future relationships is, you know, I want to be me and I want her to be her or, you know, if whatever relationship you're in and uh, to, to inquire about why we do things instead of feeling like we're going to try to change things, even though we say never want to do, but it's a default behavior being aware right. of that. And then, and just being aware, just to saying like, you know, if things are going off in different directions, um, just to have an honest conversation about it. You know what I mean? I, I, I my sister and I were always people like, we just don't respond to yelling. And that's another filter for me. Like there's going to be no yelling at future relationships for me or scolding right. any of that. It's about like, cool, you're frustrated. Like, looks like we need to check in and have that talk. I just want to have real honest conversations and uh, not be afraid of what might happen from that. It's so powerful when people can do that. Um, I feel like my first relationship, my marriage to my wife, it wasn't that way. It was, you're the guy. And I wouldn't say really she was the woman, but there was like the definite, there were certain roles what we were playing, even though we were a dual income household, but there was like, this hierarchy that existed. And now that I've been with my husband, actually I've been married to married to my husband just over five years, but with him going on, we'll be at 19 years in just another month. Wow. And I see, even though we sometimes struggle with the real conversations, we pretty much say what we need to say. And we say it in, in a way that sometimes, yes, it does come off as biting, but we tend to go, okay, here's, Here's what we're feeling. This is what we need. This is what I'm observing. And the more people can have the real conversations, the better the relationships become. And that's not like anything new, but I don't think people take that in. What's the, the, the nuance that I've discovered, at least for me, maybe this was not a discovery for you listening, but it was for me. Um, it's about calmly expressing your needs in a way that the other person shouldn't take it personally. It's not mm-hmm. about this is no judgment about how much I love you or not. It's just a need I'm saying like, I would like to go on this trip for the next 30 days. It doesn't, you know, some people immediately are like, Oh my God, they don't love me. They, they want to leave me for a month. And it's like, no, it's just this thing I want to do. You know, I think we need to like start. And that to me is a sign like, Whoa, we really don't trust each other. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and just, to, just to say, if there is a pattern of all of a sudden, well, you keep going on these month long trips and that kind of doesn't work for me, then clearly state what it is that you want. And, and then it descends into potentially a lot of passive aggressive 
effectiveness. People make assumptions about other people's needs. And it's, that's what I was just like, just really say what's on your mind. I know it's so, it's so funny saying what, what's on your mind seems like it's, that's the hardest thing to do, but yeah. I think it ends up being the least, the, the least painful in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes from that space because so many of us, our family blueprint has been, it's not right to say what's on your mind. It's not good for you to speak your truth. It's not good. This is not how we do things. And I know my generation and my parents' generation, that was the blueprint. Now, as I've raised my kids, I've really encouraged them. And they probably say, fuck you, dad. No, you haven't said that. But I have really tried to encourage them to let's speak about this. In fact, I just had a situation with my youngest one this morning. And um, it was amazing to watch how we interacted adult to adult and saying, this is what I feel. And this is how I think this should get handled. What do you think? And it was all about a situation in her life. Whereas before I would have been like the heavy handed dad. And I'm like, Nope, this is, she has this situation. It's her responsibility. I'm going to kind of give my perspective, but I'm going to leave it open for her to say, this is what works for me that this doesn't. And it was so much more calming. In fact, the situation went by in what I would consider literally a snap of a finger mm. versus before it could have been. And because I used to be like, let's drag this out. Let's get this because I needed to have my way. And I've learned, you know what? I got to back it off. And the more you just I said that, something really important. Something important. You said my way. And that's another thing I want to bring into future relationships. And I say this all the time. Anybody who tells me this is the best way. And, mm. uh, and I'm like, Oh, this is one way. This is the right. best way for you. That's right. cool. That's great. Right. And I think we do that in marriage so often. Like it's the, the classic spouse thing. We complain about yep. each other's driving, right? We all do it. It's like, it's a sitcom. It's boring to me. Mm-hmm. And to me, one of my rules is like, when you bump up against that feeling like that didn't feel right. And it happens three times and it's bothering you. You got to talk about it. At least I need patterns. Um, you know, and it's just also talking about how to give and receive information. So I think that's something, something else. And because it's also why complain about each other's driving? If there's something that's truly, really bothering you, discuss it and to see if that other person's potential. It's almost like it's, this is the, I think the options, either you are communicating something and you, and you are saying, this is something to my core. I really can't change that. Or this is something that I'm willing to explore and think about. I just don't know how to feel about it yet. Mm-hmm. Or it might be like, oh, yeah, you want me to change that? No problem. I'll do that. Right. I think I'm a, I was a classic people pleaser in that I kept changing and I changed too much. And that's when I started to lose myself. And that's very typical. I, I know for me, I, well, <clears throat> I think my situation, I layered that people pleasing into my sexuality. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna please everybody else by pretending to be heterosexual and managing it. And I could manage it. I mean, people who know the story, you know the story because you saw me talk about it at WDS. But mm-hmm. it was a hey, I I'm gonna get by because this is what I gotta do. But the bad thing about that mentality is once you start to do that, you begin to bring it into other areas of life, and another area, and another area, and another area, and before you know it you are in this whirlwind of people pleasing and it becomes habitual and you do lose yourself. You don't even, I had no idea who I was until that moment when I met the Brit in London and I had that experience that was so different from every other experience that I had with a guy that woke me up and said, wait, 
this is my real self waking up to, it wasn't just about sex, this was about a connection with a guy that I thought I could never have that kind of thing with a man that then suddenly I'm waking up going, wait, I don't even like the work I'm doing and wait, I don't even like the way I'm living and I don't even like the pressure I'm having trying to be in this and the perfect storm obviously happened and then things went down but just like you, after the storm passed, the bottom line that I had was I wanted my ex-wife to be happy too. She Absolutely. needed to be with somebody. And it's taken years to get there because there was some strife and then we did really well and then there was some new strife that came along. But at the end of the day, just go be happy. And if I, I can't do that, I know I can't do that for her. So I need to release her to that. And mm -hmm. sometimes the spouse that's being released, they can't see that. Mm -hmm. And that makes things even harder. But it sounds like you've had a pretty good somewhat released from that where it's like, okay, we just kind of know. It wasn't like rainbows and unicorns there. You know, oh, it wasn't, on. <laughs> unfortunately, you know, what, you know, it wasn't that, you know, we haven't spoken a ton, you know, and it, it, it was not received well. Yeah. Um, but it takes time too. You're, you're, yeah. this is like a fresh wound right now yeah. for you guys. Yeah. So I can I, tell I, you I, it took, it took almost, three years for things to start to get better. And then it was kind of better. And then, you know, it got worse and it's kind of, it just is what it is now, but you know, the kids are grown now, so I don't really have any obligation to be involved no matter what. But I think the key here, and you're kind of bringing this up is to realize is the pain greater to stay or is the pain greater to go? Mm -hmm. And you really got to look at that. Deep. I had a pain in my upper left chest and it disappeared the day after I talked about I it. I believe it. I believe and, it. And another th unconventional thing, because this is also something very typical, um, that we, you, when you started this, uh, this interview, uh, you were saying how it's actually 70% of women initiate divorce versus 30% mm -hmm. of men. I, and I think that'll change over time as the generation. Another thing, um, men because of that, typically jump into relationships really fast and much faster Absolutely. than women. Yep. And that's something I've been really conscious of, of like, I haven't dated much in the first year because I, I have a lot of things, like when you go through such a huge shift in your life, you have a lot of inventory to take to like, just reacquaint yourself with yourself again, to be like, where are you? Like I always joke, I feel like I was taking off all different parts of myself and my entity out of storage and dusting it off and reacquainting and like, hey, I miss this part of me or, oh, this part of me, I used to like you, but actually I don't want you anymore, you know? And I think you need to go through that process because I truly want to be um, in a relationship again, you know, with the right woman who I feel like we are genuinely aligned yeah. um, and, and not because... I'm just going to be in a relationship for the sake of being in one. I'm really glad you said what you said about men jumping into relationships quick because I see this all the time in the game. And they always, and, and then they always end up having a second marriage and the majority, I forget, it's even higher than 50%. They yes. get divorced because they never took the time to really know themselves again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see it all the time with my gay clients, especially the ones who've been married, come out of a, a heterosexual marriage, most of the time they have kids, but even if they don't, there is this immediate, I have to have a relationship. And what I find so fascinating with most of those is a lot of the guys haven't really even had any gay experiences. And then they immediately jump into, they want to jump into a relationship. And I'm like, 
you haven't even explored this piece of yourself. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but you haven't even got late enough to understand what you yeah. want, what you don't want. Not that that's what it's all about, but a guy to guy relationship is so different than a guy to a woman relationship because you've got different masculine energies. First of all, going into the same pot and now you got to sort that out. You got to figure out what you enjoy with intimacy and sex and all this other stuff. And you want to dive in. You can't just overlay the heterosexual blueprint onto the homosexual blueprint. Yes, there's going to be pieces of it that work. But I think what I've observed is this is a pattern in men. And then they wonder why they struggle and they struggle and they struggle. They are so quick to like, let's go do this. As if they yeah. learned something really magical because they just got divorced or they just broke up. And, and the relationship you need to have is with yourself first. Absolutely. I know a lot of guys may be listening to this and going, yeah, we've heard that before. The reason you've heard that before is because it's true. It is the biggest, most powerful thing you can do if you have a relationship that goes awry, whether it's a divorce or a dating relationship that you've been in, is to figure out how to have a powerful relationship with yourself first so that you can be better in a relationship with someone else. And then maybe somebody's asking themselves, so, well, how do I do that? And I always say, the most important skill you can learn in life is self-awareness and a couple of things, even just throughout the day, just monitor when you have an instant reaction, whether it's positive or negative, whether you cry, whether you're happy, whether you're angry, just start bringing awareness to that and then start asking yourself, why did I have that reaction? Where is that from? And just start asking yourself like, why do I believe X or why do I feel so strongly about Y? And that is the process of really knowing for yourself. I mean, we all come into this world as a fairly blank slate, have yeah. tendencies as humans, but generally all this stuff, it gets lumped onto us. And as a kid, you don't know enough to like make choices. It's all being done for you. And then we live in this industrial economy still that we are conditioned to constantly ask for permission about everything. Even if we think we're free and we're so independent, we're really constantly asking for permission for, to be accepted, to be loved, to feel secure. And that needs to come from within. You have to be able to be cool with yourself outside of getting affection from someone else first. Well, I would normally say, would you like to leave some advice before we wrap up? But I think you pretty much... <laughs> I think that's yeah, a mic drop yeah, right there. Yeah, Boom. that's the mic drop right there. That's why I was kind of quiet, but it's so true. And, and I really hope that if you're in a space, any of you guys that are listening to this, whether it's on the verge of considering divorce or, or even afraid to have, I think Stephen and I would both agree, afraid to have real conversations. You have to talk to people. I can't tell you what to do when people yes. come to me and they ask me like, what do I do? And I'm like, I can't tell you that but you need to talk to some of your close people. And again, that's also a problem for a lot of men because we lose a lot of our close relationships outside of our marriage, which is also a problem. But you need to talk it out with people to kind of start mirroring it, gaining different perspectives. Because sometimes you might be able to save your marriage, but sometimes you might not be able to. You know, it's really interesting. We'll wrap it up. You just kind of brought this to the forefront. When we were at World Domination Summit, I held my, had my meetup, 40 plus real men, real talk. About 20 guys were there. And the most common comment as we wrapped up that meetup, as I went around the circle and said, what did you learn from this? What did you gain? The common thing that came out of it was, I don't have anywhere like this to do this at home. Mm -hmm. I know. 
Even among my own male friends. Like I feel like a lot of my own male friends, I am their only other male friend. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. In fact, I just interviewed another guest for this podcast who said, I have one friend that I feel like I can do this kind of conversation with. Mm -hmm. One. Mm -hmm. And guys, I would encourage you to start to go beyond zero (laughs) and even one and trust that you can have this. And, you know, part of it is that's why I'm doing this podcast. If you want to be part of this conversation, jump over to Facebook, look for the 40 plus real men, real talk group. We are there. We're having conversations about this sort of stuff, but take Steven's guidance and really, truly, you know, he says, he's not going to tell you what to do, but he kind of did have the relationship with yourself and become very self-aware and you'll be guided to exactly the best thing you're meant to do in your relationship. And that may mean to walk out of that relationship. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you for letting me. I love this conversation. Not an easy topic. No, it's not. And especially with the wound being so fresh, I want to say I totally appreciate that you did this and shared some really amazing wisdom for other men so they could take that journey, whatever that looks like for them. So I think I might have to have you back. I wish I appreciate that. I think we have some other good conversations that we can carry on. Thanks again for being here. Thank you. That's a wrap for 40 plus. Real men, real talk. Where size doesn't matter. We drop our bullshit, get over our screwed up fears, make bold moves, and live life without apologies. Don't forget to join us on Facebook at 40 plus Real Men, Real Talk, where the conversations continue.